Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Hey everyone, welcome back to Alabama AgCast. I'm Casey Rogers, Director of State Legislative Programs for the Alabama Farmers Federation. I'm so excited to have part of our State House team with us in the studio today. We've got my colleague Preston Roberts, who's the Director of Agriculture Legislation, along with Representative Reed Ingram with us this morning. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks, Casey. Man, I am just so excited to have Representative Ingram with us. We have kind of a saying around the office that if we had 140 Reed Ingrams, we wouldn't have have a job uh, in external <laughs> oh, affairs because nice. we wouldn't need anybody up there lobbying on our behalf because because Reed just does an outstanding job um, for for the farmers of his district and um, and just just an outstanding individual in general. So we appreciate you joining hey, you're us. You're too kind. Thank you all for having me, Preston, and thank you, Casey, for having me as well. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Representative Ingram, uh, you've got a very diverse background. I mean, from from a car dealer, from from farming to to even opening up a, a little small farmers market yourself. But for those that that may not know you or familiar with you, can you kind of share just a little bit of background? Sure. I, you know, to start off by saying, you know, a car dealer and a politician go hand in hand, kind of like a lawyer <laughs> and an Easter Bunny, I guess. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So you know, my background basically started off as. Um, I was born and raised on a farm. We were cattle farmer, beans back a long time ago with my dad. But uh, cars have been in my generation for three generations. My grandfather's uh, a Mercedes dealer here in Montgomery and uh, well, the oldest, actually, Mercedes dealership in the United States existing. Wow. And so, um, you know, cars is all we knew. And so that's all I've ever done. I've had my license uh, since I was 17. Um, and I've had a van conversion company in Dothan, Livonia, Georgia, and one here in Montgomery. And then I've had, um, um, you know, vans and then a truck conversion company. We were one of the largest um, and one of the only ones started back in the um, 90s in uh, truck conversion. So we were building vans and trucks for General Motors. And and, then then we kind of switched gears and um, went into the cars a lot heavier. But we've always sold trucks or vans or automobiles. And we just, um, back in, I guess, Oh four, we built a, a dealership on the on Troy Highway, and then we built one on, on the bypass, and and so it's just uh, grown from there. And then six years ago, I got this idea I was going to sell produce on the side of the road, and it kind of grew from that, from a restaurant to more of an agritourism kind of thing. It's, it's been fun. All right, I may be showing my ignorance, <coughs> here, but what is truck and van conversion? Okay, so back in the nineties or eighties, actually. So uh, a van would come in with just a basic shell, and we would cut the top off, put the windows in it. It would come in with like a cardboard seat. And so uh, that was the old, uh, almost like the hippie vans back then, you know. So it would be the high top, TV, VCR, and all that kind of stuff in it. And um, with no shag carpet, that was that was after that. <laughs> but we had the shades, and, and my wife worked with me. As from We've been married for 40 years, and so she sewed the curtains and did the books and I would go get the vans and and do the painting and do all the interior. Okay. So we would do we were doing about three hundred a year starting out with General Motors and then we got up to about five fifty a year for GM General Motors. Wow. That is awesome. So, so that it's was a fun so job. interesting. That was a fun job. And then you know um, you know I decided to run for politics back in actually ran in '96 and uh, unsuccessful because I wanted to incorporate Pike Road. Montgomery County was the only county in the state that had one municipality. 
And so Emory Farmer was a mayor of Montgomery. And so um, I got a couple of friends of mine, Wayne Rayburn and Charlene Rayburn, to help me. And and um, we finally were got it done. But most of my votes were coming out of Montgomery, like the Wind Lakes and Deer Creek and all that area. So uh, Emory Farmer was so mad, you know, he did everything he could do to run against me, I mean, to campaign against me. So I lost by like 380 votes back then and decided to run again in 04. My son graduated and we were successful to get in as a commissioner then and enjoyed it, really did. I spent a decade on the commission and uh, learned a lot and and, um, hopefully we made a difference. Absolutely. Representative Ingram, for all of our farmers that are out there that are listening to this, that may kind of have that itch to to dive into politics and to, you know, run for a political office and to start representing constituents. What what advice would you give them as they're moving forward? I would say, you know, I think that if you've got the calling to run for politics, I think you need to do it. You know, I would recommend starting off on a on a commission level uh, because it's a good learning platform. Um, if you want to jump right on in and run for the House, um, you know, of course, that won't be a problem either. But you know, we need good people running. We need good people down there. We need farmers that are running that have an interest in keeping our land. This is, you know, this is sacred. You know, our land in Alabama is our biggest industry. You know, farming is. So, you know, we need people like that. And we've got a lot of millennials out there that want to get into into something. And I encourage them to run for the right reason, though. Not because you just want to be, you know, a hood ornament in your community is not it. But running for the right reason to make a difference. If, there, if there's a need there, if you've already got a good representative, Wait it out, you know, mm-hmm. because if he's a good one and he's doing a good job, he or she, then um, then just stay tight and run for something else. I think that is a valid, valid comment and valid encouragement as, as they look into that. And um, I'm going to stop everybody and we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll dive into politics a little bit more. Looking forward to it. It's never a dull day on the farm, especially when your day starts before the sun comes up. We're Alabama Ag Credit. And while some don't get it, we do. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, we've helped farmers finance everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes your natural resources need financial resources. Welcome back to Alabama AgCast, everyone. We have Alabama State Representative Reed Ingram in the studio with us this morning. Welcome back, guys. Thanks. Hey, thanks. And Reed, you know, before we broke, uh, you were talking about maybe what advice you would give to to a farmer or somebody who's interested in politics. You know, there's a lot of people that say, hey, when the Alabama legislature's in town, your life, liberty, and property are all all at risk. But, you know, I would tell our folks listening, you know, as far as the people that are down there protecting those things for you, Representative Ingram is one of the ones that's that's on the other side of that. He's watching out for your interest. And um, tell me – what is your approach? I mean, when when you go down there, what are some of the things that that are most concerning to you here lately in this session, or in, in general? Kind of what's your philosophy uh, going into how you represent your your district? Well, I, pr- I appreciate the kind words to start out with, Preston. Um, we have a county commission, two county commissioners that I represent, and those are my that's my voice, you know of what they want, and also the farming base of it, because most of my district is rural. You know, most of my people live in the municipalities, but geographically, it's it's rural. So, you know, I I kind of, uh, there's a balance, you know, and I represent 30% uh, Democratic base, and I've got, you know, the 70 on on the Republican base, basically. And so, you know, we have to um, weigh and measure a lot, and there are needs for everybody. we got to represent everybody, not, not just who elects me. So it's it's a fine line there of, of being able to what's right and what's going to be best for the future for Montgomery County and Elmore County, 
uh, just like the uh, occupational tax. I think it would have been a hardship on everybody. You know, we killed that bill and uh, or passed it rather uh, to where they couldn't raise the occupational tax. That would have been a hardship. And also for the foresight of that, I thought the mayor would was wrong by doing it because of wanting to pass that because it would kill industry, you know, coming in. Sure. And so to answer your question, I think that, you know, there's a lot of things out there that, that is junk in a bill and it doesn't need to pass. And I think there's more junk than there are good things. Um, and so I, I'd rather work the system behind the scenes and for that bill not to even hit the floor. And um, especially, you know, if it's a bill like we had talked about earlier, maybe getting them to send it to my committee to where it stays in the basket. But making sure that we lobby and work all the members before it comes to the floor on a good bill. Mm-hmm. That's always my my general philosophy is that if I don't like a bill, if we can find a way to get it to read, he can kill it for well, us. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, and we're so thankful just to have you and your voice in the state house. And, you know, we know that you represent farmers and, and you fight for their families and their livelihood. And, and I always, Preston and Matthew joke about this with me, but I always want to know about y'all's families. Um, tell me a little bit about your family. All right. I've been married for 40 years. And uh, when I first got married, my hair was about your length and uh, I weighed 119 <laughs> pounds. And um, we eloped. Her her father was a Baptist preacher. We eloped to the Methodist church and got married. He had no idea we were dating. So did, now we've did got, you drive a very cool van? I did not. I had an old truck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, three on a tree. Uh, I think it was a 68 Chevrolet. Yeah. And so I was uh, I was riding bucking horses. Um, and doing a lot of things, playing in a band that I didn't need to be doing, you know, but um, she straightened me up. But now we've got we've got two boys. I got one that'll be 38 this year and one that'll be um, 35 this year. Very nice. One's into drugs. He works for a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the other one uh, sells cars. He's the fourth generation, and he also sells land. He was with National Land Realty. Yep. Uh, both of them are married. Very and nice. so I've got two grandkids, and I've got one that's six months, and I've got one that's uh, 17 months. Yeah, I bet your son in the in the land business has been been busy here lately. He has. It's probably the busiest year he's had. The problem is, is finding inventory. He's selling everything he can get, but inventory is a problem. A lot of folks seeing the value in rural land these days. Yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And he sells mostly larger acreage. You know, three or four hundred acre plots. But yeah, uh, they did good, and I'm proud of them. And I'm still married, of course. I'm unusual for an Ingram to be married 40 years to the same one, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But she's a sweetheart. Well, I know you guys have been busy, busy across the board. Um, You're just telling us on your way in a little bit from your weekend and scooping ice cream out at Sweet Creek. I'm excited because it's springtime. Um, I feel like there's a lot of hustle and bustle. Um, Tell us about how you represent the local farmers um, kind of with your endeavor with Sweet Creek. All right, so we've got um, Sweet Creek, people that don't know, it's a, it's kind of like the Peach Park. Peach Park does a great job. They're good people. Um, but we're, we've took it another step, so we're more of an agritourism and having animals there and et cetera, et cetera. So here during the pandemic, it's been really good. It was just a God thing that people could bring their kids and, and roam around the 11 acres uh, with goats and sheep and the peacocks running free and the turkeys and wild turkeys, actually, and, and then um, chickens. we got about 60 chickens. And so that they could get out and not have to wear a mask and not work about social distancing because they're on the ground and outside. So it's been a good learning process for a lot of kids. And so we have, um, you know, we've sold a lot of ice cream because of that, people coming out. Uh, we sold a lot of vegetables and how the impacts the local farmers. We have probably about 65 plus 
local farmers uh, from anywhere from 12 to 13 on up uh, that grow in produce for us and they bring it in and we weigh it and we show them the Atlanta market and uh, we pay them what it brings by the pound. So we pay them by the pound. And then we've got 54 egg farmers and I would say the majority of those egg farmers are um, under the age of 19. Some of them as young as seven. Matter of fact, we had one that was from here and something got all our chickens. But anyway, but we sell we sell all the farm fresh eggs. We tell them how we want them. We want them free range and we don't want them exposed to a rooster and and what to feed them, and, and uh, they do a great job. And so, you know, produce moves north, so it starts in Florida. So now we're on a Florida produce right now as far as the squash and the okra and zucchini. But we know those farmers and where they come from. Like uh, cantaloupe a move 100 miles every 15 days from Lake Okeechobee, approximately, on the end season, on the first season. So, you know, we'll, we're getting cantaloupes and strawberries. We actually got strawberries this weekend from Dothan from Bell Farms. David Bell is a great guy. And so we buy a lot of watermelons and other produce from him as well. So we everything that moves up, and then we locally, we try to grow as much as we can, and then farmers around here that grow. Man, I'm getting hungry Me just too. listening to it. Well, for somebody, I, I mean, I can – y'all have been so successful over there at Sweet Creek. It's been so fun to watch. Just it, it expand into the agritourism side, the restaurant. For somebody who may be thinking about, hey, man, I, I would love to – to, to maybe try something like this where I live, what advice would you give to them? I would say be committed. It's uh, it's a fun job, but I work about 100. There's not a week to go by. I don't work 100 hours plus. October, I do about 120 a week. And um, so, you know, like the farmers we were talking about, I may leave when I close and drive to Bowling Green, Kentucky to pick up a load of watermelons because they've moved north or pick up pumpkins and and then uh, same way with Asheville. So, and I'll drive, turn around, and come on back. So, if you're committed to put the hours in, and you've got you've got to be there with it because it's a it's a work in progress. And if you don't, if you're not there with it, not committed, don't do it. But we would love to see people pop up and do things like this. It would be great. It helps our farmers. It helps the, the kids that are growing for you and the kids that are there because we need to teach these kids that the chicken and the milk don't come from Walmart. Mm. You know, it Absolutely. has to start somewhere. And our farmers are, especially our cattle farmers, I don't know the average age now. Y'all probably know better than I do. But I would say the herd's getting smaller, and the average age is probably 60 or one or two. You know, So those are the kind of things we need to do a really good job in our 4-H and all of our startup. This is incubating farmers, You know, whether it be from, from forestry or, or from poultry or from dairy or whatever it may be, or cattle or row crops or whatever. We've got to get these kids injected into this system, into this industry. I agree with that. I think next generation and the longevity of agriculture is 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 heavily dependent on that. And you know, Casey, what really bothers me is a lot of these millennials don't see that. Mm-hmm. You know, we get a lot of millennials that are really one sided and say, "Okay, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that," and they don't. They're not going to church. They're not doing the things that we need. You know, that to keep this and and to learn about farming and getting out. They're living in their box in the city, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just a, a box. And that scares me. We've got to we've got to teach our kids better, you know, and maybe we're not doing as good a job on our offspring. I don't know. But as far as the millennial part of it, but we've got to get into that because that's what's coming up. And I, I don't disagree with you at all, but I think that you're starting to see that shift a little bit. I mean, when we're talking to our you pick folks, they, this past year, they had more people out there more yeah. than ever. You know, I think that there is an interest, even though that there is a disconnect, there is an interest by a lot of folks on where their food comes from, how it's raised, how it's grown. And 
you know, I think that overall is a benefit. I think I think you know it's a, it's been a god thing on on one side of this pandemic because you're right. I mean, you talk to people like Scott Penton and and people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been blowed away because of every day you're able to pick. You know, you do you pick every day instead of Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it has helped a lot get a lot of people outside. It does. Do you see that trend continuing into the new year? I think so because our our produce people that are have been connected to the to the outside and so much of people coming out and doing the U pick, uh, I think that those farmers are going to keep growing more and more and do smarter things to get the people, keep them in the fields. Mm-hmm. I think so. I hope so. I think that's awesome. I mean, it's it's during the pandemic, I was able, I had a little bit more time on my hands. And for the first time in a very long time, I was able to do a garden at my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad and I, he, I, I'm a fourth generation of our family farm. And so to have him in my backyard and kind of helping me do that and cultivate that relationship. But then, you know, it brings back all those memories that so many things of, in terms of, you know, just making sure that you that you see something all the way through and that hard work goes into mm-hmm. it and following something from start to finish. I think so much of that is is learned on a family farm. I think so. I think you're right, Casey. And, you know, we talking about plants and planting gardens. We sold so many plants, starter plants. We sell Bonnie plant farms and, and uh, plants. And, and we would sell out every week from time he would come. To, and so many people were so many more people were planting. So that's a plus. That's a plus on this pandemic, unfortunately. A lot of people realize how hard it is to grow a garden. Yeah, yeah. And that that's beneficial, too, you oh, know. Yeah. I mean, farming is definitely not an easy job. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, it's 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 a big thing to teach the next generation that you just don't go to a grocery store and take it for granted that it's there. That's right. Um, that's right. And it's so much healthier than going to the grocery store and buying it because you don't know what it's been through, you know. And how it was grown, how it was fertilized, pre-emerged, it was put on it, or this and that. You know, it's so much better growing it in your backyard. Mm-hmm. Well, Representative, one quick thing for you: How can your constituents stay in touch with you? Um, well, I've always, uh, even on my card, and when I do other interviews, I give them my cell number. But feel free to call me. I'm on social media. My my number is three three four three nine nine six eight one nine. And even if you don't live in my district, if you live anywhere in the state and you've got a question, you can't get a hold of somebody, feel free to call me because we we represent our district, but we represent our votes count on everywhere throughout the state. So, Well, we appreciate you, Representative Ingram, coming in here. I mean, and, and just all that you do to protect the freedoms that we enjoy in rural Alabama and, and the things that uh, are important to the farmers of this state. Well, let me say, I really appreciate the kind words I do, but let me say this to your listeners, and I'm not just saying that because Casey and Preston are standing here, but y'all have got a great industry. You've got great lobbyists down there. I don't know of anybody that's any stronger as far as making sure that y'all's industry is protected than Alpha. It's uh, it's a great company, and um, I see them every day that I'm down there. Well, normally I do, but we're in a pandemic now, but I talk to them every week, and uh, they are very proactive to make sure they keep Y'all, your industry uh, protected. And thank you for doing what you do. I'll grab you lunch after this, Reed. How about that? (laughs) We certainly appreciate it, Reed. Well, everybody, we're coming to a close. I want to encourage everybody to check out our Capital Connection newsletter to stay up to date with the work that we're doing in Alabama State House on behalf of you. We'll link to the newsletter in our show notes, and we hope that you'll connect with us. Again, this is Casey Rogers, Director of State Legislative Programs, and we've had Representative Reed Ingram and Director of Agriculture Legislation Preston Roberts in the studio today. Thanks for listening in. We are proud to represent you in the Alabama State House. 
And now, your weekly Ag Cash wrap up. I'm Jacob Davis, Executive Director of the Alabama Peanut Producers Association. Here are the statistics for the 2020 peanut growing season. There were 182,000 acres planted and 308,206 tons harvested, giving us an average production in the state of 3,387 pounds per acre. That's a little less than our typical 3,500 pound or more average due to the wet conditions during harvest season from the tropical systems that move through Alabama, delaying farmers' ability to get in the field and dig and pick their peanuts at peak maturity. With the current commodity prices being higher this year, the 2021 Peanut planted acres is expected to be close to the 182,000 acres planted this year, according to Chris Balkum, Extension Peanut Agronomist with Alabama Cooperative Extension System. The peanut industry contributes more than $211 million annually to Alabama's economy. And to add to that impact, Governor Ivey was on hand in Atmore on March 10th to celebrate the coastal growers' shelling plant groundbreaking. This is Alabama's first farmer cooperative shelling plant, which is an $87 million project with investments from 100 growers in Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, and Georgia. The planning for the Southern Peanut Growers Conference is in full swing. Mark your calendars for the event on July 15 through 17, 2021 at Edgewater Beach and Golf Resort in Panama City Beach, Florida. The room block and registration information can be found at the southernpeanutfarmers.org website. You're eating more peanuts than ever, and we thank you. Per capita domestic consumption of peanut products was 7.6 pounds per person in 2020 an all-time high. Did you know almonds are only grown commercially in the state of California? Pistachios are only grown commercially in the states of California, Arizona, and New Mexico. All commercial cashews are imported from other countries. None are grown commercially in the United States. Peanuts are a nutritious and delicious source of plant protein and your choice of consuming peanuts instead of other popular snack nuts supports Alabama growers. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast.